0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. All right, well, good morning. We gave you a chance to look at that little poll, and now we're going to have to ask you to answer out loud. How many of you would say the thing that puts you in the Christmas spirit more than anything else is being Crosby? How many of you would just on that, maybe it's your parents' generation, yeah, a few of you, good, how about Mariah Carey, okay, a few more of you, how about Justin Bieber, a handful of you, yeah, my kids went to one of his concerts last year, how about Clark Griswold, I knew, I knew, I love it Richie, man, you're giving it all you got right there, that is awesome, I tell you, I don't know what puts you in the Christmas spirit, but for most of us it's something, for me, it's probably be more Will Ferrell and the Elf, but I mean, for all of us, it's something, right? And so maybe, like for me, one of the things that puts me in the Christmas spirit is bowl games and just driving around looking at Christmas lights. Those of you who really go all out on that, I love that. It's just, put you in, maybe for you, it's a certain latte at a coffee shop when you finally get that particular flavor. So here's what I want you to do. As you think about what you enjoy that really puts you in the Christmas spirit, would you just ask the person sitting beside you, What is it that puts you in the Christmas spirit? Right now, just take 15 seconds and ask them. (laughs) Okay, now give them your answer. If you're online, go ahead and just let us know what puts you in the Christmas spirit. Just put it in the comments below. I love looking at those later in the day. Good to have you here today. All right, let's start right now. I just want to ask somebody in this section, would you just shout out, what is it that puts you in the Christmas spirit? I heard Trans Siberian Orchestra. Very good. That is strong. I can agree with that. All right, how about right here? What puts you in the Christmas spirit? Did you say Six Flags? Christmas lights. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, right here. What puts you in the Christmas spirit? Hallmark movies. And all the guys said. I always tease my wife, it's the same plot, same people, and she goes, yeah, and I love it every time. All right, right here, what puts you in the Christmas spirit? November November the 1st? I love it, that's awesome. I suspect your tree's already up? Yes, of course, yes, I love it, I love it. Well, hey, I'm glad that you're here, and as we plan on this next week, as Sean said, we've got a lot planned this Christmas Eve service, this next week. And so we have two services right here at 9 and 1030. I just want you to know that as you probably already know, your friends, your family, your coworkers are more likely to say yes to you at an invitation for a Christmas Eve service than they are about any time of the year. And we're going to clearly, as best we know how, share the hope of Jesus Christ next time. Sunday. So would you just plan on inviting someone? Whether they come or not, that's between them and the Lord, but it's an opportunity just to share the hope of Christmas with somebody that you care about. So I look forward to our services next week. You may want to get here a couple of minutes early, but we're going to have a special time as we celebrate Christmas at 9 and 1030 next Sunday. Well, if you were here last week, we kicked off a brand new series where we are looking at the birth of Jesus, the miracle of the Christmas season. And one of the things that often gets overlooked at Christmas when we're looking at this amazing story is the birth of Jesus, God himself coming to earth, Emmanuel incarnation, what we often overlook is it is both a miracle and a conflict in the story of Christmas. And you may think, well, how is it a conflict? I get that it's a miracle, but how is it a conflict? After all, I like the manger scene, I like the Christmas movies, I like the Christmas season. What's a conflict involving the Christmas story? Well, the conflict is 80% of Americans believe in Jesus and believe that Jesus may have even been born in a manger. But here's the conflict. Jesus didn't come as someone to believe in. He came as a king to be followed. As we just sang, Jesus didn't come to be admired but to be adored, and there's a huge difference. You say, well, doesn't that just seem hard to imagine that someone would want to be adored where God himself, who is perfect, invites us to worship him, invites us to connect with him, and then makes a way so that we can then be connected, and the challenge in our lifetime is that introduces a conflict for everyone in this room There is a conflict that Christmas introduces, and we begin by having to ask this question. Yes, he may be a king, or he may be a person worth admiring, but the question is, is Jesus a king worth following, worth sacrificing for, worth uh, self-emptying for? Is he a king worth adoring This is the conflict of our lifetime. And one day we may say yes, and the next day we say no. It is the conflict that you and I will walk on this earth battling. He is a king, and he didn't just come to introduce Christianity. He came to introduce a new kingdom. And we know that because this Christmas story begins with Mary, the mother of Jesus, being told by an angel, you will have a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will reign over. On his throne, and then the angel told Mary, this is before Jesus is even born, that his kingdom will never end. Would you just say those five words? This is so important. Say those words out loud with me. His kingdom will never end. Think about that. Before he was ever born, he was already being Foreshadowed that he was going to be a king and his kingdom would never end. And you and I then were born on this planet and we are then invited to be part of his kingdom. However, there is still another kingdom that was there then that is here now. And that's what we experience kingdoms in conflict. Kingdoms in conflict. Whenever there are two kings, we must choose. And I want to give you the two kingdoms that are in conflict. Number one, there is the kingdom of me. Now that isn't the kingdom of Mark. That's the kingdom of you, right? You have the kingdom of you and then there's the kingdom of God. And let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. The kingdom of me is about my agenda, it's about what I want, what I want to see done. It is about my plans, about my desires, about my preferences, about my goals. No, 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 I want to do this. I know we're married, but this is the way I want this to go. I know that I'm your parent, and this is the way I want it to go. I know that I'm, I'm, I'm the employer or the employer, and this is the way I want it to go. This is my thing. This is the way I like to see it. This is the way I hope this turns out. It's my kingdom. This is the way we are all tempted to pursue and live our life. And then there is another kingdom. And this is the kingdom of God. This is about God's agenda. What God wants done. And it may or may not align with what I want done. And when there is a conflict, we have a decision to make. Which kingdom will we pursue? This is the greatest conflict that most of us will experience throughout our entire lifetime. These two kingdoms in conflict you may have ever thought about this but that's why it's so important to wake up every morning and look in the mirror and say it is not about you because every day you will wake up and you will try to make it about you and so will I this is the way we have been born this is the challenge that Christmas introduces it introduces both a miracle and a conflict and so last week we looked at the kingdoms in conflict and what we saw last week if you missed it what we saw last week was there are two uh, parties, two different groups of people who introduce and represent each kingdom. First, there was Herod, the king, and then there was the Magi, those court advisors who came to worship Jesus. And Herod represents the kingdom of me. This is what it looks like when we just live our lives for ourselves. And then we have the Magi who represent the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like when we're willing to make Him. The throne, sitting on the throne of our lifetime. He is the one who is in charge. He is my boss. And you might be here and you might think, oh, no, 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 I believe. I'm a Christian. I'm here at church. Clearly, I'm in the kingdom of God. And the reality is what we're going to see in Herod's story is you can believe. But it doesn't mean that you've gone from admiring to adoring. It doesn't mean that you have laid aside your agenda for God's agenda. I can believe and still pursue my agenda, and this is the conflict. The kingdom of me versus the kingdom of God. This is where our faith can sometimes get stuck in our head and be an intellectual assent, but it doesn't have our heart, it doesn't have our hands, it doesn't have our feet, it doesn't have our mouth, it doesn't have our actions. This is the difference between an intellectual faith and an adoration, where God has my allegiance. So with that said, you may think when you look at Herod, you might think, oh, I've heard about Herod in the Christmas story. That's right, he is about the kingdom of me because he didn't believe in Jesus. But that's the crazy part. He did believe in Jesus. He even believed that Jesus was the Messiah. you talk talking about hubris. He believed Jesus was the Messiah and that he saw him as a king. And he wanted to eliminate the competition because he knows when there are two kings, people have to choose. It's the last thing he wanted to do was to give up any of his authority, any of his fame. And so he went on a focused, intentional route of trying to eliminate this new Messiah and we're going to look at the rest of that story here today and you may be wondering well how does that have anything to do with our life here in 2023 like I woke up and 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 I'm watching the news and I'm seeing what's going on in this world and I'm not thinking about Herod or the Magi or these great characters in this original Christmas story well it turns out just like Herod let's be honest if you believe you will be tempted to settle for belief especially those of us living right here in the bible belt we will be settle we've attempted to settle for belief instead of making him our king and laying down our agenda day after day for the agenda of god for the kingdom of god and that is where the conflict comes in And that's what we're going to talk about here today. Look, it happens all the time. Many of us were even raised, just to kind of see how this plays out, many of us were even raised with this idea of belief over participation. I don't know how many of you may have been raised in church, or maybe you were raised in a Christian home, or maybe your parents were kind of like Christian adjacent, or they had kind of like, they were familiar with Christianity. And so there was this teaching often that it was like, if I can just get my kids to pray the sinner's prayer, and punch their ticket to heaven... And that was the entire focus was if I can just get them to place their faith in Jesus and say this prayer. And then many of us have raised our kids and we kind of have the same idea. If I can just get my kids to place their faith in Jesus through saying this prayer. And I'm all for the prayer. I'm all for having those prayers. I'm all for adults having those prayers as a starting point to a greater faith. But oftentimes it becomes, no, I've got my agenda. I just need to make sure they say this prayer so that we can make sure they have ensured a place in heaven for them. And without intentionally doing it, what we're teaching is, believe now to enter heaven later. And that's the extent of many people's faith. I believe now so I can enter heaven later. But when Jesus came on earth through the Christmas story, he taught something so radically different. He kept walking around, and we see this all throughout the gospels, teaching not believe now so you can enter heaven later he kept walking around saying you want to participate in the kingdom of God now he kept saying the kingdom of God is here it is at hand and I am inviting you to participate in it now in other words you will find life when you participate in the kingdom of God and we're like well wait a minute what exactly is the kingdom of God it feels like a vague phrase And that's why I wanted to make it as simple as possible when we look at that definition. It's just simply participating in what God wants done now. And looking for it, having a heart for it, having a heart for him. And looking for ways you can participate now, not just settling for belief for something later. And so here comes the real personal question. What is your faith costing you? How do you know you're participating in the kingdom of God? What are you laying aside that you would rather be doing, rather be pursuing, in order to pursue the kingdom of God? And for most of us, this changes from season to season, doesn't it? Where it's easy to have a season where I'm all in, and then all of a sudden, that old kingdom of me steps back up and says, You know what? I think I would rather have the bigger house. I think I would have the better job. I think I will want to have. These things that I've always wanted and all of a sudden before long I've reoriented my life again with a new kingdom. And this is the conflict of our lifetime. Kingdoms and conflict. You say, well what does it look like to be participating in the kingdom of God? I think it means not only attending a church but participating in. In helping others attend church, it's participating in others experience God at church. And so many of you, I asked in fact this weekend, they said we have currently 269 adults who are serving. You know what that means? There are a whole lot of people who are paying a price so that others will benefit, and I believe that's kingdom of God behavior. Some of you give financially. Why? Because you are sacrificing in obedience. It's an act of worship. So that others will benefit and he will be glorified. So many people, you talk to others, you serve in the community. So many of you serve in the community in profound ways. You partner with other organizations that are doing good things. You see neighbors and you reach out and you do things. Not because you will benefit, but because you want to be part of participating in the kingdom of God. I'll take it a step further and say, sometimes there is a brand of Christianity that likes to point fingers instead of extending hands. And that's an easy way to think that we're participating in the kingdom of god when it's really about settling for belief it's the idea to say i want to criticize an issue out there like abortion but i'm not going to really help out organizations like real life or uh, real options or support pregnant moms or support orphans or support foster kids i would rather just curse the darkness instead of lighting the candle it's offering hope. Instead of shouting at the community, you serve the community. You encourage those who are around us. Instead of saying, that, hey, I want to climb to the top, you say, no, I want to climb to the bottom. I want to be about serving other people. It's recognizing that we are called in this earth to be different. That It's not about demanding what I want, but submitting for the benefit of others. Many of you are amazing at this idea of humble service. We were just talking about this morning, it was Ryan was leading the tech team, I heard him say, it's a funny thing how most of us admire servants, but we don't want to be treated like a servant, right? There's that tension that we all feel. I just want to tell you that this is generational. Uh, On the way in this morning, it was around 645, I passed a truck and a trailer that was leaving this location, and it was Dutch as he was driving past, and he rolled down his window, we were at the intersection here at uh, Pleasant Meadow, Preston Meadow, and uh, McDermott. And he rolls his window down, says good morning, I say good morning to him, and off he goes. You know what he's doing? He's taking another church, right? He's taking the Rock Hill campus up there so that it can be set up so here in about an hour they will start. And he's serving. Meanwhile, his son-in-law is back here running sound here at the Plano campus. and, And his grandson, Zach, is back here serving. at the. Look at him waving. Zach is on it. He is the man, right? You know what I know? Zach will grow up with a heart of service because he's seen his grandpa, he's seen his dad serve. And we don't have to wonder if Zach is going to serve when he gets older. You know why? Because he caught it. He sees what it's like to participate in the kingdom of God. I love that. This is what we get to do when we see kids serving with parents. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it is the great conflict in our lifetime. These two kingdoms are in conflict. So back to the Christmas story. It starts where all of our lives start, with the kingdom of me. Look at it in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, our Savior, our Lord, during, and say these next few words with me, the time of King Herod. Listen, this is about him. This is about his power, about his authority. He's the one in charge. Pretty powerful, pretty big deal. It's all about him. It's all for him. Everything he does is about him. He was able to believe, though, in Jesus being the Messiah. We saw that last week. Think about it. This is the same Herod who rebuilt the temple. He believed it was good for people to have a place to go to have their sins forgiven. He believed it was good for them to have a place to go where they could practice in the rituals and the rules and the, religi- or the religious knowledge Of the Torah. He believed in these practices. He had belief. He embraced that. However, he was able to keep heaven and earth conveniently separated. In the incarnation, the birth of Jesus was all about bringing them together. Herod, this was his time, this was his moment. You ever feel that? No, wait, this is my time. This is my job. This is my marriage. This is, these are my kids. This is my home. This is my money. This is my time. This is how Herod felt. But now we're about to see the danger of that left unchecked when it's all about us and it's the kingdom of me where it ultimately goes. Back to the original Christmas story. We're going to pick up where we left off last week where Herod remember, was approached by the Magi who had come all the way to Jerusalem looking for this new Jewish king. And now Herod says to the Magi, I want you to do this, he says in verse eight, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now how many of you think that he actually wanted to go and worship jesus most of you know the story that was in no way what he wanted to do he was trying to trick the magi into revealing the location of jesus and he knew they were so passionate that they would be the ones who would find jesus if he could be found so they said why don't you go and find uh, jesus and magi report back to me where he is why because he wanted to eliminate the threat he knew when there are two kings people have to choose and he only wanted there to be one king and it needed to be him So unaware of Herod's intentions, the Magi obey and eventually, sure enough, they do find Jesus and look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child. Can you imagine this moment? When they have looked for him, they have sacrificed for him, they have traveled, which was expensive and dangerous. They have come from either Persia or Arabia and they've come to find this Jesus and they find this Jesus and look how they respond. They bowed down and worshiped him. I don't know what we will do when we see Jesus for the first time, but I can't help but believe that they indicate what we will do when we see Jesus face to face. They bowed down. They bowed to a baby the way you would bow to a king. And then they worshiped him. They worshipped a baby the way you would worship a God. I don't know what their worship looked like if it was singing, if it was silence, if it was just emotional. Maybe it was a combination of all those things, of reading scripture, but it says that they bowed down and then they worshipped him. There was an active worshipping of this Jesus. And at some point, They got up from there, and instead of going back to Herod, it had been revealed to them to take a back road home. Look at verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They took the back road home. And not only were they warned, but Joseph was warned by an angel who then took Mary and Jesus to the neighboring nation of Egypt, fleeing Herod's decree that was to come. And Herod, when he heard that the Magi had outwitted him, do you think he was happy about that? No. People who are all about themselves and the kingdom of me, they aren't happy when they get outwitted. Look at his response in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Remember before he was disturbed whenever he heard there was a second king? And now that he can't find the second king, he is furious. He is angry. And you know what that's like. Many of you who have a boss who is all about herself or himself. Many of you have been uh, in relationships when the other person is all about themselves, And you see what it looks like to be furious in unreasonable ways. And this is Herod. He's all about himself. But here's the danger. When that's left unchecked, And when you have unlimited power, you can become a tyrant. And that's what happens with Herod. Look at the last part of verse 16. And we see the evilness of what is about to happen. And Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance to the time he had heard or he had learned from the Magi. They had already given him the date and so he was trying to make sure there was no chance this king would still be a threat. There is absolute evil that's taking place and Herod is leading it. We see uh, tyrants throughout history, right? We think of uh, tyrants like Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. Again, these are people who are about the kingdom of me coupled with unlimited power and evil always follows. You could always trace evil back to someone who was about the kingdom of themselves. Herod was no different. And isn't it easy to get discouraged when there is evil around us and we see this at the birth of Jesus? Like you may have flipped on the news this morning and you saw all these interviews and, and all these clips from the war over in the Middle East or the war in Ukraine Or the crime that happens around our nation, or you see disappointment from people who let you down, or maybe people who say things that aren't true, and and, and you have these things at work that you see difficulty and you see constant disappointment. And it is so easy, isn't it, to get discouraged when you see evil on a day in and day out basis. But it may be helpful to realize that when Jesus was born, he was faced with incredible evil. But it did not stop his kingdom from moving forward. Because remember those five words, his kingdom will never end. Would you just say that with me again? His kingdom will never end. End. now this is fascinating because eventually years later they crucified jesus on a cross and when they did his followers walked away because they were so afraid that the one they had followed they had sort of bet on the wrong horse and all of a sudden jesus is buried in a grave and all of a sudden what they forgot was what the angel had told mary those five words say it with me his kingdom will never end And it's just a few years later where we begin to see this kingdom beginning to grow. We see the impact of a king who's introduced a new kingdom. And it's just 40 years after his birth, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. We're going to pull up a map here where you're going to see in the the nation of Syria, there is a city of Antioch. 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And something begins to happen there. As a group of people who are now Greeks and Romans are hearing about this king who has been born, who has died on a cross, and many have witnessed his raising from the dead. And they're looking up here, and people are beginning to say, I don't just admire him, I adore him. And they begin to reorient their entire lives around this Jesus. And all of a sudden, their relationships look different. Their generosity looks different. Their goals and dreams look different. And people begin to look at them, and they're not admiring what they believe, they're admiring how they are living their lives out and how they are participating in the kingdom of God. It's so different from anything they've ever seen. And they've gone all in and giving their complete allegiance to Jesus Christ. So much so that when people saw these Christians just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, that for the first time they were giving a label, not a label they chose, a label they were given, and it's in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says, the disciples were called, say that word with me, Christians, first at Antioch, 300 miles from where Jesus was crucified and rose again. A few years after that resurrection, for the first time people were called christians and it wasn't because of what they believed it wasn't because of what they even knew it was because of how they were living their lives they had switched parties if you would they are actually saying i am totally aligned following this jesus and they had participated in the kingdom of god in such a way that people when they saw them said they're those christ followers they're those christians they're different and i wonder as you and I go to work, as you and I walk through Collin County and live our lives, is there a distinction in the way we live our lives? Not in what we believe, but in the way we live our lives where someone would go, oh, there's, it's clear their allegiance is to Jesus. They are Christians, and they believe in the kingdom of God. This changed everything. You see, a few years earlier, their king had been crucified on a cross and then he miraculously rose from the dead. And now it was a growing number of people now called Christians and to this day still referred to as Christians, but it all began there with those people. And I can't help but believe that as we forward the story in the early part of the second century, there was a pandemic, historians tell us, throughout the Roman Empire, something between 25 and a third of the entire empire was wiped out. They would refer to it just as a plague or a pandemic. Many people believe it was an example of some type of smallpox. Either way, many people were dying throughout the region. And it was these Christians who, instead of running away like everyone else ran away, would run toward those who were sick. It was, the the one historian would say, it was as if they didn't fear death. And they would lean in and serve those who were dying, and many of them would die. And as a result of their behavior, not their belief, Christianity began to spread. As people said, I want the kind of life that allows me not to fear death, that allows me to live for something bigger than me, that allows me to have a purpose beyond me. And as these Christians leaned in, Christianity began to truly spread. And I wonder where those people in the early part of that second century learned that behavior. I believe it was people like those in Antioch who taught their kids how to come and how to serve. And that was, that was placed in their soul. And when the crisis came, they were already positioned. And I just want to say, as we have a heart for the next generation, we don't know the crisis that will come that may come right to our front door. But we want to position our kids to be about the kingdom of God and to be about other people and to live a life that's greater than them for purposes that are beyond them. And our faith is built on this posture, to live for the kingdom of God, to participate in the kingdom of God. These Christians were known for their generosity, their self-sacrifice, and ultimately, they were known for how they loved each other. I love one historian said, these Christians, this this is a a, a historian who who focused on the, the, the history and the social science of the Christians at Antioch, and he said, what they were known for undoubtedly beyond anything else, other than their intense community, he said, was they were actively generous toward all those around them. What a reputation to have. Whatever that looks like, It's almost as if they really heard Jesus say, love God and love others, and they took it seriously. Even though it meant knocking off their own agenda in the kingdom of me. It was about the kingdom of God. But eventually, through history, these Christians would be persecuted. Many of them even executed. But these Christians were not persecuted because of what they believed, but because of whom they had given their allegiance they, they didn't just admire Jesus, they adored him through their lifestyle, through their generosity and through their behavior. And here's where I think it gets dangerous for those of us, especially if you were raised in church or you live here in the Bible Belt, it is tempting to settle like Herod did at belief, at knowledge. But belief promises life later. However, participating brings life now. That's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. It is about now the kingdom of God, but it's participating in the kingdom. But man, is it an ugly thing? Let's be honest. Those of us who've been around church, it is an ugly thing when people settle for belief, but they don't participate in the kingdom of God. And I believe in America, we have a lot of cranky Christians filling up churches who have settled for belief and have never tasted the real thing and participated in the kingdom of God, have knocked off the kingdom of me for the kingdom of God. Now, let's just be practical here. As we battle the kingdoms in conflict, we're in transition as a church here at LifePoint. And in transition, that means a lot of things. And as we've been walking through this season of transition together i I mentioned last month that i if i am honest i both want to follow god and i want to be liked and that is very genuine and the truth is i've had the privilege of being part of churches that were growing and can i tell you the general truth is pastors of growing churches are liked more than pastors of transitioning churches And I will say you have been so incredibly kind and gracious in this transition and I just want to thank you. My preference would be that we would already be in the growing season. But God's plan for us is to be in a transition season. And what I have to do is what we all have to do. And for you it may look very different in how you respond to him. But what I have to do is lay down the kingdom of me for the kingdom of God and trust that this is not only about what his plans are for us, this is about what his plans are for others. And so I step into what I might not prefer but what I trust with all my heart is clearly his plan. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe at your job, in your relationships, in your dreams. What does it look like for you to have preferences but all of a sudden you see God's plan unfolding and you go, oh wow. Is this one of those moments where the kingdoms are in conflict and I need to lay down the kingdom of me and I need to trust the hand of God? This is what it looks like to be a follower and not just a believer. Someone who generously pursues the heart of God. This is the miracle of Christmas. It is both a miracle and it is a conflict. But let me ask you again, is he your king? Is he your king? Is he your king? See, Forgiven people don't change the world. Forgivers change the world. One benefits, the other one pursues for the benefit of others. This is what it means to participate in the kingdom. Imagine how much better our marriages would be if we practiced this. Imagine how better we would be as parents if we practiced this, as, as children if we practiced this, as grandparents if we practiced, as bosses, as employees if we practice, as neighbors if we practice this. I'm gonna pursue the kingdom of God above the kingdom of me. It's not about me. I wanna pursue what elevates and promotes Jesus. And his question is, if you wanna live in a better country, in a better city, in a better community, just like I do, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you willing to change parties and to shift your allegiance to God above any political issue, above any political party, above any group of people? Instead, I am gonna shift allegiance to him, and I'm gonna love God and love others in ways that are distinctively pointing others to him. So back to our original question, is Jesus worth following as king? Now, I will tell you, personally, I think the answer is yes. Christians throughout history have said the answer is yes, some even to the point of martyrdom. But if that's true, then the question becomes, well, why is Jesus worth following as king? And this week on Facebook, I asked that question, and several people responded, and many of them attend our church. And so I thought, well, Instead of just hearing from me, maybe you should hear from others who are attempting to follow Jesus like me and they are able to answer why it's worth following to them. And I wanna read these answers. One person said, I follow Jesus, it's worth following him because following my own way didn't work out so well. That's honest and I love that. Jesus has given more than anyone else. He is the way to salvation. He is God. He is a friend that never leaves me. He welcomed me back after my addictions. He displayed his love for me on the cross. He brings peace and joy. He is holy and is my everything. His promises can be trusted. He is creator and the giver of life. He heals broken hearts. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the risen son of God. He will never let you down. He is the one constant in a shifting world. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He loves me unconditionally. His grave is the only one in history that is empty. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is my redeemer. He is kind. He has the words of life. And he has proven he is trustworthy in my life. My daughter Reagan went on to write, There's no one who knows my heart more fully and completely and yet still, chooses to love me and guide my paths according to his will. He is an infinite fountain of goodness and grace. His coming as the most humble of creatures, a baby, allows me to understand that we are not just following a king, but also a servant who lives to serve us as much as he rules us. And there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for another. Jesus has displayed that tenfold, so why shouldn't I follow him? I want to tell you, I think he's worth following. And there are a lot of people who join and say he is worth following. And I will tell you that in saying that, that whatever you do with the kingdoms of conflict, that you will be most alive when you participate in the kingdom of God. It's where your heart wakens and you are able to see this is what I was made for, for the benefit of others, for serving me doesn't cost me, but it only benefits me. Serving others, it will cost me, and it will benefit others. And the truth is, there will be a temptation to realize that belief promises life later and to settle for belief. Instead of recognizing participation brings life now. He has come to give you life and give it to the full. Like the Magi, will we leave the counterfeit kings and the counterfeit truths, and the counterfeit promises, and live our life with a self-emptying sacrifice, so that we reveal we do not just admire him, but we adore our king. Let me give you these three questions as we close. Number one, is Jesus your king? Now listen, if you're new here, you may have been around Christians and think, man, they're kind of cranky, or they, you know, I know what they're against, I don't know what they're for. Look, that's, sometimes that's a, that's a banner we've, we've, we've raised a little too high at times, and we'll own that. But let me just tell you that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he is the savior of this world, and he will give you joy and hope in life. And we can recommend him without any reservation. Is he your king? Secondly, am I a believer or a participant? Have I settled for just belief or have I moved to participating? What is my faith costing me? And thirdly, and this is super practical for all of us, is there a step of participation that God is inviting you to take this season? Maybe you would even make this a prayer. God, what is the step you're inviting me to lay down that's about me? And what step are you inviting me to take that's about you? And you know what he will do? Our God will answer that question if you'll ask him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we step into this Christmas season when we're about gifts and we're about generosity and we're about traditions and all the things that Christmas can include, may we once again gaze at the miracle of you, God, coming to earth and the conflict of laying down my agenda and pursuing yours. May we not just be believers, but be participants in your kingdom and find life to the fullest. All for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.